This is Act of the Apostles Radio Show, Show 1. Hello, friends of the Apostles. Welcome to our new radio and podcast show, Bible Study in D.C. I am Christina Cox, your radio host, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to Father Jack Hurley, a wonderful priest from the Cathedral of St. Matthew's the Apostle. And a wonderful co-host, Matthew Bernstein, who is the Broadcasting Operations and Production Manager here at the Museum of the Bible, located in Washington, D.C. It is so much fun to be here. Thank you, Matthew, for letting us host our broadcasts here from your beautiful studio, facing the nation's capital today. Let me tell you, our show is a wonderful series about the Bible and the Acts of the Apostles, where we will be talking and discussing. So grab your Bible and follow along with us. Let's first bring on our co-host, Matthew Bernstein. It is a stunning museum, Matthew. Wonderful to be here. Great to see you. I believe you've been open since November 17th, 2017. Could you tell us a little bit about the museum? I would love to, Christina. But first, it's a pleasure to have you and Father Hurley here in our broadcast studio. And of course, our listeners. As you mentioned, the museum opened last year, just before Thanksgiving on November 17th. And the Museum of the Bible is a unique vision to engage all people with the book that really shaped history. Christina and Father, when you arrived today at the Museum of the Bible, you probably noticed two things. First, the two 40-foot bronze Gutenberg gates at our entrance. It's a stunning replica of Genesis 1 from the Gutenberg Bible. The second thing you probably noticed is when you entered, you saw this big, long, giant LED screen. It's 140 feet, by the way, hanging from the ceiling in our grand lobby. And throughout the museum, you'll discover fantastic exhibits, artifacts, and Bible experiences combined with state-of-the-art technology. I'm a tech guy, and I love this technology for an immersive experience. To see every artifact and attraction, read and watch and see every show and video, it would take you about nine, eight-hour days. We have eight floors here, including three central floors, history, narrative, and impact. Now, on your first visit, you probably said this was overwhelming, but in a good way, right? And that's why I always say you have to arrive as early as possible. But beforehand, go to our website, museumofthebible.org, and plan your visit. This is truly a -a one-of-a-kind museum you won't find anywhere else in D.C. And as always, admission is free with a suggested donation. Well, it sounds exciting. I mean, there's so much to see. Last time, it took me two days to see a couple of floors, and I haven't seen everything yet. But, you know, I think this is going to be a wonderful experience because uh, us having the opportunity, Father Jack Hurley, who who was a uh, wonderful priest from the Cathedral of St. Matthew's, he teaches a Bible class every week. And we thought combining what Father knows and what he can teach us about the Acts of the Apostles would be wonderful. He also teaches a class at the Cathedral on Saturdays each week. So together on the air, we're going to learn and discuss the words of Jesus Christ by learning the Bible. Welcome, Father Jack, to the program. How are you today? I'm fine, Christina. Thank you. And thank you, Matthew. It's wonderful to be here at this wonderful museum. Certainly a wonderful addition to the highlights of coming to Washington. Well, we're excited to have you, Father. Tell us a little bit about the program and what you're going to teach us about the Acts of the Apostles today. Well, we just celebrated Easter, and the readings for the next several weeks focus on what happened down on earth after Christ rose to heaven. And the basic 
guide in this is the second part of St. Luke's contribution to the New Testament, namely the, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 1, in fact, in the Acts of the Apostles, he notes this connection by stating, in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so there we see a connection on the one hand with the Gospels, and on the other hand, the special role that St. Luke had to play in this overview. The um, importance of the Acts of the Apostles also these days is because it gives us an insight into those of us who have had the great opportunity to see a wonderful film that has just recently come out, Paul the Apostle of Christ, which focuses on the efforts by St. Luke to take notes from St. Paul in the final weeks of his imprisonment in Rome before his martyrdom. And the, a, this is a, a wonderful uh, sort of way of authenticating what it is that we find here in, uh, in the Acts. Now, the Acts, to me, is one of the most fascinating books in Scripture because of the vast numbers and the cast. Um, not just simply the thousands that St. Peter baptized on the first day of Pentecost, but also because of the various individuals that come up, sometimes a challenge to lectors, readers, of, at, uh, at services. But these are all very important because it gives a sense of the breadth of the attraction of this good news that has come. And to a large extent, in the first part, the focus would be on St. Peter. And then the last uh, half of the book, to a large extent, focuses on, on St. Paul. And that's why I think it is good to get an understanding of St. Paul and his letters, which look forward to discussing further on, but it's good to get an appreciation of how the early church began. And certainly the key here is the Acts of the Apostles. When we consider the Acts and theater, if you will, uh, I, I see the producer being this individual, Theophilus, who is used as the kind of like individual that Luke in particular has put together this outline of Christ and his apostles and successors. But also, I, I envision that the director here is God, particularly the Holy Spirit. And the writer, of course, as I indicated, is St. Luke. And so just looking at the first 12 chapters of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we see an overview of the vast numbers that are involved, particularly, of course, St. Peter. And so I 
just uh, for for my own uh, interest, envisioning this as a theatrical production, not just simply by virtue of the division of chapters, but really by division of scenes, I have put put together some thoughts that give an idea of the way in which the early church spread. It started, of course, in Jerusalem, and early on, we read in the books of the Ascension and then the first community in Jerusalem and the importance that the then 11 apostles felt to choose a successor, namely, in this case, by lot, St. Matthias. And then, of course, we have this wonderful presentation of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit to enlighten these new members of what was to be on that day a particular community or church, if you will, that would be under the special inspiration and guidance of the of the Holy Spirit. And this we see in the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. Then we have for the next couple of chapters a focus on the uh, preaching of Peter, the difficulty that Peter and John had initially with the authorities and the Sanhedrin, and the realization early on that they needed further assistance to help them. And so we have then the presentation in chapter 6 of the selection of the first deacons, the seven deacons, and the first two mentioned, Stephen and Philip, uh, certainly stand out in following chapters. Stephen is the first of the martyrs. He was a very outspoken uh, enthusiast and follower, and his discourses upset the leadership, and some of the uh, other Jews felt that he was being blasphemous. And so we find then in chapter 7 the story of his discourses and subsequent martyrdom. But also, um, at chapter 7, there is an introduction of the individual who is then going to take over the second half of the book of Acts, namely St. Paul. Because at that time, Paul was um, a Pharisee uh, and one of the leaders in the persecution of the early Jewish Christians. And after the death of St. Stephen, which is so beautifully described at the end of chapter 7, we have this short little little verse right at the beginning of chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his execution. This is the introduction of one who was to become perhaps the greatest evangelizer in the early church, St. Paul, and by virtue of his special relationship to the Lord, can be considered an apostle, certainly. So then we have 
the continuation in the book of Acts of the persecution that took place in the, in the early church. And we um, then come to a, a wonderful uh, presentation of the expansion of the good news in the presentation in chapter 8 of the new deacon Philip. Now, this is not St. Philip the Apostle, but one of the new deacons, and we have his uh, story of the uh, preaching in, in Samaria, which was considered to be no man's land, as it were, earlier on. But there, his preaching was accepted with, with great joy. And so we see already an indication here of the uh, need of the of to to spread this good news, not just simply to the to Judea or the uh, Jewish um, into, uh, population, but but throughout the whole world. And so Philip stands out in a very beautiful way here, and indeed we also have another story of him in his um, conversion of the representative of the Ethiopian queen. And then we have in the next scene a, uh, another introduction to what is going to happen to this individual who took part in the uh, martyrdom of St. Stephen, namely Saul, who was greatly feared by the early Christians. And we have in chapter 9, then, the story of his unique conversion and baptism, story that we were, is then repeated a couple of times further on in the Acts and is an indication of the special manner in which, on his way to Damascus, Saul is then struck off his horse and hears the words, of Jesus, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Before that, indeed, the voice had said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Certainly one of the most amazing conversion stories. Very strong, strong words from God. Yes, and certainly words that um, Saul thought he had better listen to, and of course at that time he was also blinded. Um, but then we, we hear further in, in uh, chapter 9 of the um, vision that uh, a Jewish, early Jewish Christian, Ananias had, and Ananias' visit to, to Paul and his subsequent, uh, subsequent baptism. And then Paul kind of fades off to the distance for a while, and we will, you know, run into him later on in a very remarkable way uh, once we get up to chapter 13. But in the meantime, Peter is active, and he has a vision likewise, um, mm -hmm. which, which um, gets him to go to one of the Roman officials, Cornelius, 
and Cornelius too had had a vision. And the next thing we know, um, Cornelius is baptized, and Peter' vision is that it is not necessary to accept all the Jewish dietary laws to become a follower of Christ. And this then becomes an important element in the further development of the early history of the church. And so the, uh, the Peter's activity continues. Um, Saul is increasingly recognized as one that need not be feared, but people were still a little bit of, uh, a fif- suspicious of him. And so in a scene we have um, the in, uh, involvement of Saul in Antioch uh, with, uh, with Barnabas, who was later to become a great uh, companion of his in the first missionary journey. But then we continue along with an appreciation of the persecution that the early church suffered. Um, not in Rome yet, but already, already uh, right around Jerusalem. And here King Herod Agrippa was one that um, uh, was not very friendly and caused a great deal of, of uh, hurt to the early church. He, uh, at the, we get to chapter 12, and here we have a presentation of Herod's persecution of the early Christians, including the killing of one of the early leaders of the church, uh, James. Uh, this James is um, considered by some to have been the early apostle, uh, the brother of, of St. John, the son of Zebedee. And um, then the uh, persecution uh, continues. Um, Peter is um, arrested, but freed by an angel. This upsets King Herod, who then has the guys executed because this was allowed to to happen. We have further background then in the early church. There is another James that comes to the fore here, and this James is um, described as a brother of the Lord. Um, It's considered to have been somehow or rather a relative of Jesus and was the early leader of the church in, in Jerusalem. But um, near the end of chapter 12, we focus on what happened then to this King Herod Agrippa who was causing so many problems for the early church. And beginning with um, verse uh, 20, I think it is a good example of the continued role of the Holy Spirit in looking over the church. Here we read, he had long been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon who had come over to him in a body. And after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they sued for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's territory. So Herod felt pretty 
pretty good about himself. And on an appointed day, Herod, attired in royal robes and seated on the rostrum, addressed them publicly. The assembled crowd cried out, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. And at once the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not ascribe the honor to God, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God continued to spread and grow. So it certainly is a, is a, a very, um, certainly if this was on stage, it would be a pretty remarkable scene, I think. These first few chapters, first 12 chapters, the first half of the book of Acts, then set the scene. And so the final verses in chapter 12, after Barnabas and Saul completed their relief mission, they returned to Jerusalem, taking with them John, who was called Mark. And then from then on, for the remainder, we'll hear about the unique activities of St. Paul. Paul, of course, uh, was a name given to Saul. And this is what Luke took up in his notes as described in this uh, wonderful film, The Apostle of Christ. Well, Father, thank you for explaining all this. I think Matthew and I have some questions. May I'll start first. Um, first of all, this time after, um, you know, especially during the Pentecost, which is my favorite, where people are enlightened and begin to speak in tongues. Um, I guess the, the public that was outside the house where all of the um, apostles had been inside must have heard them speaking and must have been amazed at this miracle that they had witnessed. Yes. Um, I think that that's, that would be a very interesting scene to portray in a film. Um, and... Um, it, it, it is pretty remarkable how, how this developed. But obviously, with the coming of the Spirit, then, um, they, um, they were probably most struck, as you indicated, by the fact then that even though these many people gathered outside uh, and then were able to hear Peter uh, when he went outside, uh, were struck by the fact that although they had different languages, they, uh, although they, um, speaking in different would, would not uh, yeah, languages, have necessarily and understood him in his Aramaic. Uh, yet they grasped this and were overcome by the by the good news of Christ's resurrection, Christ's conquest of death. So the first group of Christians started uh, to uh, grow because as these miracles happened in the first. Uh, 12 stories of the Acts of the Apostles. A lot of miracles happened, and more and more Christians would be witnesses and then would tell other people, and the crowds would start to grow, correct? Right. Early on, uh, we have uh, Peter and John in chapter 3 uh, described as uh, curing a beggar, indicating that while they did not have silver or gold, um, they uh, told him to rise up, as he did, and he was cured. Matthew? I guess as we're, you know, we're experiencing this, was this the birth of the Catholic Church? Yeah, sometimes Pentecost is described as the birthday of, the, of Christianity, of the, of the Church, exactly. Um, 
because it, it is a, uh, an indication of the coming of the Spirit that Jesus had sort of foretold uh, before his ascension into heaven. Do you think that Peter knew when he healed the lame beggar, did he know that he had the, the ability to heal through Jesus Christ, or did he just feel it at that moment because he was walking past the beggar and then he said, wait a minute, because he was asking for money, like you said, gold or silver, and then he turned to him and said, I, didn't, I don't have that. So do you think it just happened at that moment, or did St. Peter know his powers? I think a combination because actually even uh, before Christ's death, uh, he did send out the disciples and uh, there were cures that took place. So going, again, going back to, to the Gospels, this is not something that was entirely new, but it was on a more limited scale, certainly. I think what strikes me is that the apostles, as um, once they got the, the Holy Spirit, they, they dropped a lot of fear. You know, many of us um, that are Christians, we want to speak up. We want to talk about our religion to other people, especially, let's say, in Washington, where it's very government here. You don't know what people are going to say when um, you want to start rattling on about the Catholic Church or being Christian. Right, Matthew? I mean, and to speak up and... And, and to w- want to talk about these wonderful miracles or to even talk about Jesus. So here the apostles had no fear at this point. Which is amazing because even today, though, you know, in different parts of the world, people are being persecuted for the religious beliefs, and that's something that happened back then and is still continuing to this day. Very true. All over the world, in Syria, the Middle East, uh, Mexico, Nigeria, so many different places in the world. And there are those that remarkably, despite pressures, uh, rely on the, on the gifts that have come to them from the Holy Spirit, and particularly fortitude in holding fast to the, to the good news, to the faith. So then um, let's talk a little bit about St. Stephen, because that's a, a very important uh, part, part in the Acts where he is persecuted and stoned, I believe, correct? He was stoned, yes. And he refused to back down. Yes, and indeed the, uh, the quotes in, in his final, final remarks uh, bring back the words that Christ spoke from the cross, and that is a, uh, you know, a remarkable way of, uh, of, of uh, bringing in the... the um, this again, this this role that that had come to um, you know to to the uh, um, early early Christians, and it's it's uh, in in chapter chapter seven, uh, for example, if we uh, you know catch some of the final words of Stephen. Yes, let's read uh, that. There, there, we 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 read. Um, in verse 59, uh, as, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell to his knees and cried out in a loud voice. He was not on a cross, of course. He was on the ground being stoned. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. 
And so we have this sense of the effort to really follow in the the words and in the actions of the of the Lord. So he gives uh, forgiveness just as he's being killed. It's pretty powerful. Very emotional. If this doesn't move you, then I think you need to pay attention in it and read more into it because that's very emotional, just those few lines there. Yes, I'm getting the chills. As I'm, um, so it's one apostle after another. And also, wasn't Mary in the room of the Pentecost? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she, she is indicated as, uh, as, as being present there. And, and interestingly, when we consider Mary and the uh, uh, gospel, the one who presents her the most is St. Luke. Again, the first two chapters, the so-called infant narrative in St. Luke's gospel, are uh, basically focusing on, on Mary, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Annunciation by the angel Gabriel, the Visitation, the birth, and and we have here then um, a a an indication that I sometimes wonder about whether Luke, the note note taker, yes. may actually have visited, um, uh, had the opportunity to have some personal contact with Mary, and to have heard either from her directly or indirectly from one who had been close to her, mm-hmm. perhaps John, uh, the, the story of the Annunciation and the, and the birth. I have a feeling that she leaned on him and, and he leaned on her, mm-hmm. you know, for strength. And, um, but also, you know, I've seen many portraits where you see um, Mary is in the middle and then you see the tongues above She's in the middle of the apostles on either side. Many artists have painted those portraits of, of Mary being, re- receiving the Holy Spirit. Yeah, being uh, being there and and um, that in the in the uh, upper upper room, and that we would run into that in uh, in chapter two um, with with the uh, the, uh, the 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 coming uh, coming of the. Uh, of the uh, of the uh, of the spirit, and um, it 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 is a uh, a very beautiful uh, presentation of the uh, the unique role that this not just simply Mary Magdalene and being the first to um, announce and spread the news of Christ's resurrection of the empty tomb. That's right. But uh, likewise, another Mary, in this case, his mother, uh, being being there, and and uh, that that of course um, is 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 a a unique kind of presentation. There are certain elements that we don't hear further about in in scripture, and um, there are various traditions that have evolved. Uh, the death of Joseph, for example, um, where and what exactly did happen with Mary and John. The strong tradition is, of course, that in time they went to Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then 
even with St. Paul, as we'll find, you know, as we'll see that uh, at the end of the of the uh, scripture, the the there is no direct indication of of his actual execution, as for example the death of Stephen or of Jesus, but yet there is this strong tradition uh, that. Um, he was, this is in the film, Paul the Apostle of Christ, that he was uh, beheaded. And indeed, there is an area just outside Rome, Tree Fontana, Three Fountains, where according to tradition, uh, he, uh, he was martyred. Well, just one last question, Father. I just want to uh, go back to when Peter was in prison. Um, I love the part where the angel suddenly appeared and opened up the lock that I mean, even uh, uh, Peter must have been surprised to see that sleeping in the middle of the night, and then the angel comes in full brightness and says, um, "Quick, get up!" And the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. And then the angel said to him, "Put on your clothes and sandals, mm-hmm. and wrap your cloak around you, and follow me." I mean, that must have been pretty. Pretty powerful. Right, in chapter 12, but then um, it wasn't very good news, however, for the God, because then we, uh, we read uh, that um, uh, he was Herod, after instituting a search but not finding Peter, ordered the gods tried and executed. So. And Father, I just have one more question. Um, you know, with so much going on in the world today, good and bad, what can we learn from the life of Stephen? From the life of Stephen, I think we can learn that we all have different characteristics and gifts, and certainly the one that he had, perhaps why he was selected as one of the first deacons, is his courage and willingness to go out. And presumably he was also pretty articulate. And um, he caught the attention of quite a few and didn't beat around the bush in, in uh, apologizing. And this infuriated those who were upset and led, him, led them in turn to, uh, you know, to stone him. But again, his courage and bravery stands out there. And so traditionally then in Christianity, um, often the, the day after Christmas is celebrated as the Feast of St. Stephen the Martyr because he is the one who first stood out after the resurrection and gave, was, was willing to give his life for the newborn child. Well, there's so much to see and learn here at the Museum of the Bible. Matthew, can you just also give us a little bit more insight of what uh, visitors could do when they can come here? Yes, absolutely. I think before anything, you need to arrive as early as possible. You know, we open up at 10 uh, you know, you need to at least spend, they say you have to spend nine, eight hour days to see everything. That's to sit down, that's to read everything, to look at everything. So if you can only spend one day, maybe two, definitely plan a whole day here because it's worth it. We have a restaurant here, Mana Cafe on the sixth floor that's inspired from, you know, the food is Mediterranean and uh, the chef and owner were inspired by Israel to create oh. the menu and atmosphere oh. of the restaurant. It's fantastic food. And then you have a whole day filled with theater shows of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. You have the history of the Bible floor. 
impact of the Bible. I mean, when you walk through that floor that's on our uh, on our second floor, you'll see that the Bible has impacted art, architecture, education, human rights. I mean, the list goes on and you're, you know, you might be familiar with it, but then it'll also open your eyes or maybe even you're new to it and educate you on how much the Bible has done around the world. And also here in America, when, the, you know, we have an exhibit where the Bible lands in America and it takes you all the way up through uh, the beginning to now. Um, so it, you definitely need, I guess, definitely go on our website, Museum of the Bible. What about tickets? Muse- yeah, go on our website for museumofthebible.org. Yeah, it's free admission with a suggested donation um, because we do, you know, we don't want the price tag to hurt anybody because, you know, if you have a family of five, you don't want to spend $100 just to come to see the museum. That's true. So this is, museum is for everybody. Um, and again, free of charge, suggested donation, just to keep the lights on, employees here, you know, cleaning displays. We have a lot displays. of employees. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of employees, so we're and very security. thankful. And securities. Yes, absolutely. So again, the website is museumofthebible.org, and there you can plan your visit, purchase tickets, and basically plan your whole trip. I mean, because it's something that you need. If you come to Washington, D.C., this is a must-stop, just like it is the White House yeah. or the Washington Monument. Absolutely. And what about for children? You have a children's exhibit, right? Absolutely. We have a children's exhibit that has uh, biblical references, games, a climbing exhibit. Uh, th- this is probably the perfect place if you have kids and you're a parent. You need to take a break once in a while. You let them run around, get tired, and then you could throw them back in the <laughs> stroller or walk around the museum again. Makes and sense. it's fantastic for them. And what about, we understand, Father, do you know they have a Vatican exhibit here? I've seen that, right? But may I just inject here that uh, um, a wonderful description of the Bible uh, given to me some years ago, B-I-B-L-E, it can also be uh, understood as basic information before leaving Earth, B-I-B-L-E. So it is certainly worthwhile that way, too. I, I love that acronym. Yes. Well, I'd like to thank our special guest, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews for our first show. And thank you to our host, Matthew Bernstein, and to this wonderful Museum of the Bible. You really, I recommend that you have to come down here and to see it for yourself. What an outstanding 430,000 square foot museum with theater, restaurant, and shop. You won't be able to see it all at once. So it took me two days to uh, go through it. So we will be back again. Thank you for listening to our first show about the Acts of the Apostles, and it's called The Bible Study in D.C. God bless and be safe, and thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for having us, absolutely. Wonderful being here. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye now. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just because I was, I didn't uh, have it. I, I didn't know we were going to do that. Okay, I didn't know okay. either. Okay, so I'll start from the beginning. Oh no, no, just our tags. Um, saying goodbye. Start from where? Okay, well, I'd like to say goodbye to everyone, and I, I pray for all Christians here that are coming and visiting to the Museum of the Bible, and would like to thank, thank Michael, I mean Matthew, and uh, Father uh, Jack for joining us today. Thank you so much, Christina and Father Hurley, for coming here. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Please come back again soon. We right. will. Thank you, Matthew. Cool. Okay, that's better. Well, we can scratch out the Michael. I was thinking I was in the other show.